Way back in the uh, 1920s, there was a poet by the name of Carl Sandburg, and it was there in the 20s he decided to do, take a little different track as a, as a writer, and he decided to write a, a biography of Abraham Lincoln. It turned out to be this massive six-volume biography of Lincoln. It took him more than a decade to finish the work. And one of the stories that he tells in that biography that kind of grabbed my attention is because he talked about the preachers in Springfield. See, in the year 1860, when uh, Lincoln was running for president, there were 54 preachers in the town of Springfield, Illinois, and not one of them, not one, voted for Lincoln. Well, Lincoln got elected president anyway, and so after the election, those 54 preachers came together and they made a covenant, said, hey, this is not the guy we hope to see sitting in the White House, but since he's there, we need to pray for him. So over the next four years, those 54 men would meet together on a regular basis just to pray for Mr. Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln became one of the greatest presidents this country ever had. Do you think those prayers had something to do with that? I do. But the reason why I'm telling you this story is not to illustrate the power of prayer, that we all know the prayer is powerful. And it's powerful not because of what we're saying, it's powerful, it's powerful because of who we are talking to. God answers prayer. But the reason why I'm telling this story is the attitude of the 54 preachers. Though they did not agree with Lincoln and his politics, though they didn't always like his style of leadership and the way he ran the country, yet those 54 men, once a month, they would set aside their personal opinions and those 54 men would meet together in this one room where every one of them would get down on their knees and pray for their president. God, please bless this man. What a remarkable display of unselfishness. And it's that same kind of unselfish spirit that's being described in the scripture that we're going to study today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you. This attitude, this disposition, which was also in Christ Jesus. An attitude where we just unselfishly give of ourselves so that we can make things better for others. Here's another example of what the Bible's talking about. An American businessman was over in Korea to visit a missionary. He'd taken a week's vacation just to see this one particular missionary, one of the missionaries that he helped to support. And he just wanted to check on him and see how he was doing. And while they were over there, one day, one afternoon, they were out for a drive, and they noticed way out in the field there was this boy pulling a plow as his elderly father guided the handles. And the American commented, wow. That family must really be poor. And the missionary said, yeah, they are. I happen to know them. That's the family of Choi Ni. And they are Christians. And there's a reason why they don't have an animal to pull the plow. See, the house that they, where the church was meeting, it became too small. There were so many people showing up, they needed more room. So they decided to purchase a small building in town so they could have more room in which to meet. And to help make that purchase, Choi Ni took the ox, the only ox that family had, and sold it and gave all the proceeds to the church. And so ever since, the son and the father have been taking turns pulling the plow. And the American said, wow, that's impressive. What a sacrifice. And the missionary said, yeah, it is, but here's the most amazing thing of all. You talk to any member of that family, the family of Choi Ni, and they're not going to talk about, yeah, look at all that we had to give up. Look at what a sacrifice we made. No. They'll have this big smile on their face and they'll just tell you how thankful they were, how glad they were that they had something to give, that they had an ox to sell so that they could make things better for their church. That's the kind of attitude that's being described here in Philippians chapter 2. And the most remarkable thing about this scripture is the one who displays the attitude, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Look at this with me. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another as a church, and everything in this particular text is written in the plural. You, your, it's the plural. In your relationships with one another as a church, as a church, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, what does the Bible mean by that word mindset? Well, it defines it for us back in, in verse 4. Where the Bible asks the question, what are you looking for? Are you looking out for your own interests or are you looking out for the interests of others? And that, that language that the Bible uses there, look, what are you looking for? Looking, that, it's the Greek word scopus. We get our English word scope from this. You know the scope of a rifle? Here's something that helps you zero in on the target. Here's something that gives you a closer look, a better view, a better way to really focus upon something. So the Bible's asking, what is the target that you're always focused upon? You know, with the eyes of your heart, the scope that God has given to you, this place where the aims and ambitions and desires of your life come from, what is this scope set upon? I mean, on a daily basis, what do you find yourself being preoccupied with? Do you make sure every day that you're not being overlooked, that you are not being taken advantage of? Do you make sure in every situation that you are being noticed, that you are having your say, that you are getting your due, to make sure that you never lose out and you're always getting what you want? Is that what you're always focused upon? And maybe that's why you're having so many struggles in your marriage and so, many, so much difficulty trying to relate to your children. And maybe that's why you're having so, much, so many problems with the people at work and school because every day you're so busy, so locked in on considering yourself and what you need you're not taking the proper time to consider what other people might need. Well, the Bible says rather than taking that kind of a mindset, which is just going to get you into all kinds of trouble, no, learn to adopt the mindset of Jesus. What was he looking for? What was his outlook on life? How did he approach things? Where was his heart? What was the scope of his heart set upon? Well, notice verses 6 and 7. Jesus, who being in very nature God, this is who he is. He is God. And now he's going to show us what that nature is like, what God is really like. Here he is in the heavenly realm with all these powers and privileges that he possessed as God. And yet in that place, in that position, he did not consider. See, the scope of his heart is not trained upon himself. And here I got all this glory. And how can I use all of this glory for my benefit? No. Says he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Notice, he says he considered. I mean, he took time to really think this through. How can I put myself in a place where all that I have and all that I can do can now be used for the benefit of others, to make things better for them? So as a result, what we're going to read about in verse 7, what he decides to do, Jesus is not acting out of character. You know, it's not in spite of the fact that he was God, verse 6. Now, verse 7, now he does something not typical. Now he does something kind of out of the ordinary. No, no, no. Because of who he is, because he is God, because it is his very nature to give and serve and just pour himself out on behalf of others. That's what we read here, verse 7. And he, Jesus, made himself nothing. He, it's the subject of the verb, meaning... He did not do this because somebody twisted his arm. Okay, okay, I'm the only one qualified, so if I must, I must. No, he did this because he wanted to. He really wanted to. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave. Now understand, in taking the nature of a slave, he still, 
He's still God. It's just he's now taken on this additional identity where he becomes a real human being and he takes on this additional identity so he can now serve us in a way that he couldn't before. See, verse 6, in that heavenly environment, with all the power and glory and all the might and majesty, he could serve and give and bless. And he did that many times in many different ways. You read that again and again throughout the pages of the Old Testament. But now that he takes on this additional, still God, but now he takes on this additional identity where he becomes a real human being and not just any kind of a human being, but one who's committed to helping us. He adopts the very position of a slave. And why? So now Jesus can display his grace and mercy in a way that he couldn't before. Now that he's one of us, he can actually die in our place and take the punishment for our sins and meet the needs that we could never meet for ourselves. What we are reading here is just stunning. You know, occasionally we'll find glimpses of this same kind of attitude in your life and mine. I mean, every once in a while we'll step out of our comfort zone and we'll volunteer and for a brief moment we'll serve in a soup kitchen. You know, we'll help give food to the poor. But that word volunteer, it's just a name tag that we wear for a brief moment of time while we're at that event. But once the event's over, the name tag comes off and we come back home and we go back to the regular business of just mainly watching out ourselves. Or occasionally at home we'll, we'll get some bonus points because we'll take on a role that normally belongs to somebody else, like a husband, helping to get the kids ready for Sunday morning church. And at that moment he is acting above and beyond the call of duty because normally this is an assignment, a task that he allows his wife to perform. But for this brief moment, he shows a little bit of humility and he kind of steps out of character, does something he do normally doesn't do, and, and he does something really nice. But this kind of behavior on his part is rare and unexpected. That's not what we're reading here. Jesus is not acting out of character. He is being true to himself. He is showing us the very nature of God. This is the way God has always been and the way he will always be. It is his nature to give and to share and to serve and to sacrifice himself for the benefit of others. And since we are made in the image of God, what does that mean? It means this is the way we were actually designed to live. Now, that's kind of hard for us to believe because that seems to go contrary to the way we normally feel. <laughs> you know the old story, a woman dies and she goes to heaven and she gets to the gates of heaven and there's Peter. And, and so she asks, hey, how do, I get into, how do I get into this place? And Peter says, oh, it's simple. All you have to do is spell one word correctly. Really, what's the word? Love. Oh, I can do that. L-O-V-E. Yep, you got it. And she gets right in. Well, a couple... Years later, Peter comes along and talks to this woman and says, hey, can I ask a favor? I, I need to attend to some other things. I've got a lot of things on my plate today, and I need to attend to some other things. Could you watch the gates of heaven for a few hours? And, and the woman says, sure, I'll be glad to help. And while she's watching the gates of heaven, her husband, much to her surprise, her husband shows up. And she says, wow, it's been a while since I've seen you. How are you doing? And the husband says, well, Truthfully, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You remember that beautiful young nurse that was taking care of you in the hospital while you were dying? Well, I married her. And then I won the lottery. And so I sold that tiny house where you and I lived, and I bought this mansion, this huge mansion. And then, just last week, my beautiful new wife and myself, we were skiing in the Swiss Alps, and that's when I had this accident. As I was coming down the mountain, I had this accident, and that's what brought me here. Boy, am I glad I made it to heaven. Hey, by the way, how do you get into this place? And his former wife said, oh, it's, it's simple. All you have to do is spell one word correctly. Oh, really? What's the word? Czechoslovakia. 
I can't even say it. <laughs> Can you identify with that woman? Here's all these other people who seem to catch all the breaks in life, and we're not getting it one. And the idea of us giving and serving and sacrificing ourselves for their benefit, that doesn't seem right. That seems to go against the grain. And yet the truth is, that's the mindset we were made to have. But in order to have that kind of spirit, to have that kind of attitude, we have to have Jesus living in us. And so verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, here's the sacrifice that makes that possible. Here's the sacrifice that gives you and me a new heart, a whole new way of looking at things. Notice the last part of verse 7. It says, Jesus being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And here's the main reason why he came to this world, so that he could be obedient to death, even death on a cross. And there's the sacrifice that saves us. There's the sacrifice that changes our lives for all eternity. So, to vindicate that, to affirm that, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus, the Messiah, he is Lord. And you make that confession to the glory of God the Father. I will always remember when Charles Delaney came here to New Hope. This is way back in the 1990s. And he was here to preach at one of our faith promises. And he had been a missionary to Zambia there in the continent of Africa. And he told about a proverb. He was there for years and years and years. And he told about a proverb that he'd learned from those people, how he would frequently hear them say, when a thorn goes in the toe, the whole body stoops down to pull it out. And Charles Delaney said, I, I saw this happen all the time. Out there in the bush, people walking barefoot down one of those jungle trails, and all of a sudden they step on a thorn. And not once did I ever see somebody say, oh, it's just a thorn in the toe, no big deal, and just ignore it and move on. <laughs> Even though it was just a thorn. They'd immediately stop, the whole body would stoop down, they would carefully remove the thorn, and then they would carry on with the hike. Now the point that Charles Delaney was trying to make is that's how the church should function. Somewhere along the line, somebody here in church is going to step on a thorn. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe they get trapped in an addiction or some kind of particular sin. And when that happens, because we are a church, because what affects you ought to affect me, then instantly the whole church should rally around that person. Immediately the whole body of Christ should willingly stoop down, just willingly humble ourselves and do whatever is necessary to remove that thorn. You see, the, the world ought to be able to find a loving fellowship here that they don't find in any other club or organization in this world. This gathering of people should stand out from every other group and society. And why? Because we're not just any ordinary collection of people. We are the body of Christ. Did you know that if you took a healing balloon and you put it inside your car, that when the car accelerates, the balloon moves forward? And when the car suddenly comes to a stop, the balloon will move to the rear of the car. And you're thinking, okay, so what? Well, that's the very opposite of what we do. You know, when the car takes off, suddenly we find ourselves being pushed to the back of the seat. And when the driver of the car hits the brakes and suddenly we come to a stop, we find ourselves falling forward. So why does a healing balloon always act differently? When we go back, it goes forward. And when we go forward, it goes back. Because there's something different on the inside of that balloon. And because of what's inside that balloon, because of what fills that balloon, 
it always moves in a different direction. That's the teaching of Philippians chapter 2. As Christians, we should stand out from all other people in the world. We don't move the same way the crowd does. And why? Because there's someone living inside of us that's not living inside of them. That's what the Bible's getting at in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 when it says, Let this mind, this attitude, this disposition be found on you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Meaning, see things with his eyes. Serve people with his heart. Help others with his love and grace. Let's pray. God, we are just humble absolutely humbled by the way you love us and care for us. God is just humbling to think about all that you've done to help us and save us and to make things right for us so that we could enjoy a new and eternal life with you. So God, our prayer today is this. May the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, may he live inside each one of us so that we can love others the way he did. God, in our relationships with one another as a church, may we learn to care for each other in the same way that Jesus has cared for us. And we pray for this in Jesus' name.